Hello and welcome back to In The Chair with Cutthroat Pete. This week's guest is Will Halbert. Will is a client of mine. Um, he's been a client for about six or seven years now, back when I first opened my first Cutthroat Pete's barber store in Liverpool City Centre. Um, Will was one of the new faces that popped through the door and since then, you know, I've, I've had the pleasure of cutting Will's hair and beard. We have some great conversations, me and Will. Um, I remember being blown away by his intelligence. Will is a very intelligent guy. And I remember I was talking about what he was studying at university and he told me, I'm sure he was studying philosophy or um, was it maybe Spanish literature, I think. Um, something really, you know, something that I didn't even know existed. <laughs> um, but yeah, as I say, Will is a really intelligent guy and we have some great conversations. I really love having a conversation with Will. Not only is Will really intelligent, he's a great looking guy. You know, he's got a, an amazing head of hair, he's got a great beard. So, Will has got the accolade probably of being one of my, or being my most photographed client. <laughs> I've literally photographed Will so many times. After two out of five haircuts, I get some photographs of Will's hair because he's just got that great hair that when you finish cutting it and styling it, it always just looks exactly how I want it to look. And you know, Will's always happy with the, the job we do, so um, so yeah, it's always good, as I say, to get a couple of photographs of Will's hair. Will's actually modelled for me on a few occasions as well, so um, he's modelled a few of my Cutthroat Pete apparel lines that I've brought out, and we also did a, a bit of a collaboration photo shoot with a local photographer, Hannah Cassidy, and he modelled for that as well. Um, that was really cool. We went into like a local bar and and they give us the bar space to use and they've got like a pizza area so we we got some amazing shots and if you head over to my my website cutthroatpeat.co you can see that photo shoot up there it's got a real passion for men's fashion that i didn't mean that to rhyme but it sounds good um and he's massively into salvage denim so a lot of the time you know we have a lot of stuff to talk about we we like talking fashion and um, we like talking boots heritage clothes heritage wear um and as i say denim so yeah, Will's got a really interesting job. I won't give too much away right now because we're about to say hello to him. But um, yeah, sit back, enjoy a cup of tea or a beer and uh, enjoy what Will's got to say. Yeah, so as I mentioned in the introduction, um, we've got Will on today, so let's say hello to Will. Hi, Will. Hi, man, are you all right? Yeah, good, thank you. So, um, yeah, I was saying in the introduction, I think me and you met about six years ago. Um, you first came into my first shop in Liverpool City Centre for a haircut and a beard soon. Yeah, it was a little while ago, wasn't it? Right. It's, um, it's just crazy how fast, how fast the time goes, you know. I can't <laughs> be that long, but, um, yeah, six years, you know, it's, uh, it's, it is a long time, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, it is a long time. I don't think I've trusted anyone with my hair since, to be honest, other than maybe one or two of your other guys. I think yeah. You're the only guy to have cut my hair in six years. I've got I'm very like got high standards now. So. <laughs> I feel very privileged at that. <laughs> uh, I was thinking when I was um, sorting the podcast notes and like doing a little bit of research on your stuff. I think you're probably my most photographed client. <laughs> we always find time for like a little impromptu. Um, like mini photo shoot, don't we? After, after yeah. that, it's a, it's a lot of fun to be honest. I don't think I don't think I'd have my picture taken before before meeting you. To be honest, not in any like serious way. Um, so yeah, it was a lot of fun. It's great as well because you've gone on to to um, have pictures taken for a few like brands and stuff, which we'll we'll talk about the brands later. But um, yeah, 
yeah, you've had you've had um, you've been photographed quite a bit now, haven't you? Which is quite cool. Over the years, yeah, I haven't like as I say, I think you were the first, and I think maybe you, you probably set that off in some way. <laughs> maybe some people <laughs> saw like the side of my head on your Instagram, and it's just kind of traveled <laughs> from there. So I've got you to thank for that as well, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so um, obviously, at the moment, everyone's just uh, everyone's just come out of three months off work, haven't they? You know, it's crazy. To, uh, um, three months with doing pretty much nothing, or you know, uh, people have picked up new hobbies and. Um, how's lockdown been for you? It has been a strange time. Like, um, as you know, I work two jobs. I work in a bar as well as being the editor of a central journal. So I was working seven days a week before lockdown. Yeah. And just, I've just gotten so used to that pace. Uh, you, you know, you kind of let yourself, you take these mini breaks, but otherwise it's all kind of full speed ahead. Um, so like lockdown being kind of government mandated to just chill out a little bit was, um, it was a weird experience to be honest. Uh, but I enjoyed it. It was a good time to just slow things down and reflect and like time for introspection. Um, I, I don't feel like I picked up that many new hobbies. Like, I, I took up yoga because, um, oh. like, as we've said before, like my, my body's a mess now. I'm, turning, I'm 32, everything hurts. I'm just not as flexible as it used to be. So that's been a good way to like, obviously, because you can't go to the gym. Yeah. It's been a good way just to stay active and maybe target things that I'd neglected beforehand. Yeah. Um, but, but for me, it was more a case of... Um, I kind of regressed a little bit. I took up a lot of old hobbies. Like I went back to skating because I've got this big park just oh. out front. So got to make the most of that. Yeah. Um, and that was that was kind of a good little sense of freedom when lockdown was kind of at its most strict and you really couldn't go out that much. Just being able to zip around on the skateboard was good fun. Yeah, it sounds, that sounds great. Totally. I, yeah. There was things um, during lockdown that I was... It's weird. It, it kind of did bring back loads of... Um, things that I could have done from years ago. So I used to be a shop putter, so I, I grabbed my shop puts and, you know, took them out to the park and, um, I, you know, bought myself a bike, got out cycling. I think a lot of people I've spoke to um, did that kind of thing, didn't he? You know, the, as you said, he regressed a little bit and, like, just yeah. thought, oh, you know, I really miss skateboarding from <laughs> 20 years ago or 15 years ago. I'll get off and do that. And um, it's, it's so good that people got the chance to do that, though, isn't it, you know? It is. It's amazing. It's regression in the best of ways. It's not a case of like uh, civilization crumbles and you just become a child. It's a case of like you, you just ask yourself like, what did I do before work started getting in the way or before work took over? Uh, yeah. And it was a return to that uh, and just kind of playing around with that freedom. So it was childlike, not childish. If you get me. Yeah. A lot of yeah. No. It's as I say. It's really nice that you know people got to kind of relive them them childhood memories and dreams and uh, you know and do stuff that you did really enjoy years ago it's amazing isn't it yeah yeah my dog's never had a better time of it as well to be honest <laughs> it's been like a four month holiday for him he's never had us around so much yeah i was gonna mention that i was thinking um you know i was looking at you you did ho uh, what was it called uh, housebound with the hound with the hound that's it yeah, yeah, I love them. Uh, I was kind of, I found myself daily just waiting for your picture to pop up. <laughs> I started structuring my days around that, to be honest. Like, I'd get up, have a coffee, and I'd be like, right, what what kind of pictures can I take with a dog today? What kind of concepts can I think of over this coffee? And I found like I couldn't really start my day before, like, taking a few pictures. Like, you probably know yourself as well. Like, the editing process is so calming as well. Yeah, definitely. And I found it so therapeutic. Yeah. I've often thought that, I've often thought, you know, it, if there was a job where you could just sit and add the photographs all day. <laughs> I'd do it, I'd do it. Just over a coffee, coffee in Lightroom. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so as I say, you know, we met six years ago. I remember 
Um, I probably remember your first ever haircut I did with you, to be honest. It's, I've got mm. a weird memory like that. People sit down in my chair and I don't even ask what they want. Unless they, you know, unless obviously they, they want something new. Or we, we have a little chat about hair. But yeah. people will sit down in my chair and say to me, right, weeks ago, you gave me this haircut and I really liked it. And they try and explain it. And before they, they get too deep, I'm like, right, I know exactly what you're on about. I can't. <laughs> I've got this weird thing, so I look at someone's face and I remember exactly what I did to the hair, if that makes sense. That's an amazing skill, because I come in uh, for the first couple of years, uh, especially, and I had I had no idea what it, technically what you call what I had. Yeah. Uh, I was just like trying to describe it a bit by bit, so it was just lucky that you kind of, you just retain that information and over time it just became the usual, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. It, yeah, yeah, that's it, yeah. yeah just having the usual, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, one of the things that... Um, that I always found really find really interesting about you is um, obviously is your background in um, you know what you studied at university. So, um, what, just tell us what it is you studied at uni because I'm I'm terrible at remembering what. <laughs> I remember myself now. It's been that long. Um, so I, I did a PhD in Latin American literature, <clears throat> although specifically it was Argentinian short fiction that I specialised in at the end. Wow. Uh, yeah, it was a. It was a crazy one. Um, it was, it was, well, I've said this before, it was really like, it was kind of self-indulgent. It just meant a lot of reading what I wanted to read. So I felt really lucky, really privileged in that sense because university can be a bit of a slog for a lot of people. Um, but once I got the, the degree and the masters, the PhD really was four years of just kind of, just reading in my, what is in my opinion, some, some of the best literature out there. And I was just kind of doing it in coffee shops as well. It was like, the most Wes Anderson bohemian lifestyle you could you could really think of. Mm. Uh, but I did. I enjoyed every minute of it. So what, like, so you're in school, you know, you're 16. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you kind of think, right, I'll go and do some A-levels. You, you progress, you do some A-levels. What makes you, um, where did you find out about Latin American literature? It, it was a natural progression from a degree. So my, my undergraduate studies were in Spanish and French. So that obviously entailed a lot of literature oh, in the first instance. Um, but I, I'd never, I'd never really explored any kind of literature outside of peninsular Spanish literature. Right. Uh, it was just over the four years as an undergraduate that things just get a bit more specific and you start to specialize. And I just started to notice these kind of trends in, in Argentinian short fiction specifically that I really kind of resonated with. Like I'm a big fan of short fiction anyway. I, I kind of practice it myself when I can. So it just really resonated. So it really was just a case of over the years, my taste just got more and more specific. And it just so happens that PhDs, they thrive on that specificity anyway. Yeah. So yeah, kind of, it really did just snowball over the last 10 years. It just got more and more interested. I realized what it was exactly that was resonating so profoundly. Yeah. Um, and just kind of followed it, really. Yeah, that, that's incredible. You know, it's, uh, as I say, I was speaking to someone the other day actually about, you know, when you're in school and um, nobody tells you about these jobs or, you know, nobody tells you that you can study these things. It's kind of something that, like you say, you know, you have to, you have to just learn in life. You know, you have to, um, something kind of hits you and you realise, oh bloody hell, there's a job to do with, you know, literature <laughs> or philosophy or, um, yeah, it's it's not something they always tell you in school, is it? You know, no, you get the broad strokes at school, don't you? And it is only over like you, you kind of just have to carve your your own way and your own path. I know that sounds really really cliched. Oh no, um, sense. It's it's not even a case of of carving that path sometimes it's kind of blind luck you stumble upon that path and I, th- I think with me it was kind of a mix of both of those things yeah so you did did you do 10 years at uni are you saying yeah 
in total, I think it was about 10 years, yeah, between the, the undergraduate, there was a master's. So I did my undergraduate in Sheffield, came back to Liverpool um, to do the master's and then was offered a scholarship um, to continue on to the PhD. Um, so it was 10, ten, uh, 10 years in total. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, it was a long con. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so yeah, the scholarship obviously meant that they your tuition fees were covered, but then you just had to pay for... Yeah, so it was just, I had to cover living costs, which is kind of how I found my second passion in bars. So at first I just started bartending just to make ends meet, uh, which again sounds like such a cliched story, but I just really, really got into it. Um, for the same reason, almost kind of like with the literature stuff, I think I just hone in on very specific, very geeky details. Um, so the bartending side of things let me, it kind of gave me the chance to learn about distillation and brewing. I got to meet a bunch of different brand ambassadors and brand founders. Yeah. Uh, and again, that's another one of those things that in school, they definitely don't tell you. They don't say like, oh, you can actually make a career uh, sleeping booze, you know? Um, so yeah, it's been a learning curve. Um, but yeah, that was entirely off the back of the fact that it was uh, scholarships for tuition, but not living costs. Um, so, so, definitely um, deal with 10 years at uni just to get the title doctor. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that's my favorite party trick, I think, yeah. Um, just throwing around the doctor. I don't, I think that's kind of like the main reward for me. I didn't really want any kind of career out of it. Um, I just wanted the doctor status, to be honest. <laughs> I could in titles. <laughs> I'm, I'm just thinking to myself now, what I might do is I might go onto my booking system and change your name to Dr. Will Halbert. <laughs> I saw that in my emails, like, uh, dear Dr. Halbert, you have an appointment with therapy, I'd be made up. That's 10 <laughs> years well spent in my book if that happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, no, it's incredible. Um, so when you were obviously studying, you know, something so, um, so niche maybe, mm -hmm. uh, was there a kind of, career that you did have in your mind that you wanted you thought yeah this is going to get me there or was it just I really love this subject I'm going to study it and see how, how life goes from there yeah to be honest it was exactly that I never really went into uni with any that you know the glorious five-year plan I never had any kind of future uh, in mind nothing too specific right. um, so as I said that's why it was kind of a, a mixture of of dedication and just sheer blind luck uh, to be honest um, <laughs> But, but I like that it gave me a much more kind of free form 10 years, to be honest. So it was just, as I say, it was kind of self-indulgent, but I was doing the, the PhD sheerly for the love of the PhD, for the love of, of writing and literature. Yeah. Uh, and I feel really, really privileged to have, to have been given the chance to essentially to, to sit around and read my favorite books for four years, yeah. which that, that makes that sound well easier than it was, to be <laughs> honest. It, it was like, it was graft. It was a challenge. But when I think back on it, I don't remember the challenge. I remember the fact that I got to sit in Bold Street Coffee and turn out a thesis. <laughs> <laughs> Is it your thesis that got published then after? Uh, so I've got a couple of journal publications, yeah. Um, and they went on to form the thesis. The thesis was in like five major parts. And I think I got two of those parts published as separate journal entries okay. in, uh, in a couple of Oxford journals. Which is, again, which is just amazing. I was just made up to have uh, to have been a part of it to be honest because that kind of yeah I have to work the circuit a little bit it starts delivering papers at other universities and then you get asked to develop those papers into journal entries um, so it's always a sign that you're doing something right I suppose if people read more of what you're putting out yeah. oh, you, you, you've achieved so much already haven't you and as you say you know you're, you're quite new into your job as um, as obviously editor-in-chief of Essential Journal uh, yeah. even even through your, your studying and that you've 
you've achieved so much before you've actually become, you know, Dr. Will. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really impressive. It's great. Yeah, cheers, man. It's, it's all just been fun as well. Like I say, there was no major plan. Yeah. You, you just do something for as long as it works for you. Yeah. You know, as long as you're enjoying it, as long as you've got some sort of stake in the game, as it were. Yeah. Um, I think you're doing something right. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, obviously, I haven't finished uni and now... Um, Obviously, we mentioned it briefly before. You are the editor of the Essential Journal magazine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, how how did that come about? How did you become an editor of a magazine? Like, obviously, you've got the you know the credentials behind you to to pretty much do any anything within them kind of that kind of field. But yeah. you know, to to get that job, um, and it's you know it's it's a massive magazine now. The Essential Journal, isn't it? It's a massive publication. It's, it's come a long way. Yeah, it's doing really really well now. Um, it, it, that was a weird trajectory, to be honest, because as you say, you would expect after having done 10 years in university and getting the qualifications in literature specifically that people would, would take from that that you can write, but it's, it wasn't really the case. Um, and I found that despite having this body of, of academic work, yeah. there weren't a lot of people that would go out on a limb uh, when it came to the creative side of writing, because they're two very different things. You can be proficient in writing, and you can write with style. Right. Um, so the Essential Journal for me was a way of me saying, okay, I've, I've done the more kind of technical, kind of stuffy um, academic writing. Yeah. Uh, my academic writing was stuffy. I'm not saying everybody's was. <laughs> um, so, But this gave me the chance to loosen things up, um, to write about other things that interested me that were less academic, um, yeah. but maybe more accessible. Um, okay you know more shared interests like trying to speak about i don't know hermeneutics and philosophy at a bar doesn't really gather the same interest as um, (laughs) talking about you know whiskey or or fashion menswear that kind of thing Uh, so this became a really good window to to kind of flex those muscles so i just came on at first as a copywriter and then that quickly progressed to staff writer lead writer and then before i knew it um i became the the editor-in-chief that's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, it's been a ride. It's been a lot of fun. It's put me in yeah. front of like a lot of interesting people, been a lot of interesting places with it as well. Yeah. Um, and as I say, it just let me touch base with another element um, that really just interested me, that whole culture, lifestyle, fashion side of things, which is kind of a far cry from the academic yeah. um, stuff, but but no less worthy of people's attention. Definitely. So did that take you, was that like a, a, a difficult transition, being used to writing? in the way you did when you were studying and, you know, you were in university and stuff, to go into writing for, you know, uh, primarily um, fashion magazine, stuff that covers, you know, men's lifestyle kind of stuff. Was that, was it, that hard? It wasn't, it wasn't. Like, I was... I knew I always wanted to write that kind of that kind of material. Okay. And I kind of knew in the back of my mind I could do it. Yeah. Uh, it was just proven to other people that yeah, I could yeah. do it, basically. Um, so it wasn't it wasn't a challenge in that respect. The biggest one was having to to rein things in a little bit, because uh, as I say, being able to being able to write and being able to write with style, I think, are, are two very different things. And you, yeah, yeah, coming from an academic background, you do run the risk of just beating people down with unnecessarily wordy sentences and yeah, yeah. verbose vocabulary. So it was reining that in a little bit, right? Uh, but that was the, that was a fun element. I don't mean like I'm not talking about dumbing anything down. It's not about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a case of like, start. There's an immediacy to things, you know. You've got smaller word counts. You need to get to the point quicker. Yeah. Uh, you need to keep people's attention. Um, yeah. So there were there were challenges, but it was it was fun 
having the chance to reconfigure your, you know, your writing style. Yeah, Going yeah, from, yeah. say, a 120,000 word thesis to these kind of quick fire 500 word pieces yeah. uh, was a lot of fun. Yeah, I can imagine that. It's That's something I've always really, um, you know, that's always been really impressive about yourself and, you know, obviously other people that, that, can, that can write. Um, mm. I find myself getting lost in these, like, you know, obviously we'll talk about it in a sec about um, when you did procrastinations. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, that really, it, it does grip, it grips me when people can write in a way that um, I can kind of imagine when I'm reading the words, I can kind of imagine I'm in that place or, you know, mm. I can imagine that I'm, I've got this piece of um, fashion in my hands or, do you yeah. know what I mean? And it's, mm. I think that's amazing to be able to do that. And obviously, you know, over the years, that's something that you've learned to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I do find that very impressive. Yeah, I, and it, it's amazing that people can get on board with those kind of those narratives and those journeys. Yeah, um, and I, I'm glad that enough people have kind of resonated with the way I write. Yeah, um, yeah. to be able to say that I can do that because no one ever wants to be you know coming to it with like such an arrogant attitude of being oh I'm such a you know wordsmith and uh, yeah yeah story weaver or anything. But I've had people comment on like oh like. You know, whatever you wrote for X and X and article, like really kind of, it put me in that place or yeah, took yeah. me to any, and that's cool. That's cool to be able to do that. Oh mate, I can imagine it's, uh, yeah, it's as I say, it's just to me, it's just really impressive, and it um, it definitely makes for more interesting a more interesting read for me because yeah. as I say, you know, it's if I sit down with a, a coffee or a beer or you know, I sit down to read something to be able to like trans transport it through words to. To a different place is, is incredible, you know. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, hats off to you. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, <man. laughs> um, so, yeah. So you were saying before, you know, you've got to travel quite a bit with um, since you've been working to, for the Essential Journal, and you've done a lot of traveling. You've, you've been to fashion shows, and um, just tell us a little bit more about them experiences. Um, yeah, they've been pretty wild as well, to be honest. So obviously, I head up a lot of the uh, fashion and menswear side of the journal. Um, which is a, a huge component of it. So we have kind of this really just cool network of brands and, and names and faces um, that we work with. Yeah. And so one of the biggest places that they, they all seem to converge in is um, the is Pity Pity Oma, which is um, kind of a men's it's a men's fashion trade show primarily. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's in Florence, by the way. It's in Florence, Italy. Yeah. Uh, it happens twice a year. Um, but despite being a kind of it is a business event really it's where people go to you know buy in for the next season you know if someone owns a, a store or whatever that's where yeah, they get yeah. touch base with the uh, with the brands themselves and the fabrics and the styles and patterns that they're going to put out for the next season right but it also garners this like huge interest just from menswear enthusiasts yeah um so it becomes a bit of a convention to be honest um you've got people who are just they just get suited and booted the dress to the nines whether it's like really big audacious statement pieces yeah yeah or more kind of you know laid back stripped back kind of just more casual stuff but they all converge on 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 this one place um and i think that's one of the, the coolest places i've been with um with the journal to be honest so we cover that every year um right. every year since i've worked there anyway um so i think yeah italy's definitely up there and like some, one of the most impressive yeah. places. It's something I've always fancied doing myself. I mean, I've been down to London Fashion Men's Fashion Week um, quite a few times, and more just as like a, a spectator, you know, to 
I'm a big, I love people watching. So, you know, sitting on a curb on the side of the road and watching people come in and out of fashion show mm-hmm. and taking a few photographs and that, it's it's something that really interests me. But um, yeah, as, as you say, you know, pity is like, that's that's one of the the big ones of the year, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I've always I've always definitely fancied getting over there, so I might have to uh, might have to jump on that with you next time. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely do. Like, it'd, be, it'd be such a laugh. Also, like the bars in Florence are insane, so it was, it's just a week of like it's business, yeah. But there's a lot of recreation in there as well. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's always got to be, hasn't yeah. it? Yeah, <laughs> like the weather's always superb, even in like the colder months. Like the Florence just seems to be perpetually beautiful. To be honest, it's yeah. always photogenic from every angle. Uh, right. But yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't recommend it more. To be honest. Oh yeah, yeah. I'll definitely, uh, I'll definitely make the effort to, to get myself over there. Yeah, just bring the biggest brimmed hat you can possibly find with <laughs> as many feathers in. It'll be all good. <laughs> did you, did you feel any pressure? Um, the times you've been, did you feel that pressure of? You know, having to pick some some clothes up to take with you to wear. And- Do you know, the first time I, I definitely did overthink it and I spoke to a bunch of people um, with sort of past experience yeah. who'd been for it like somewhere around winter because there's a summer edition and there's a winter edition. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, I was kind of thinking, oh, do I need to go kind of suited and booted? Do I need to get like a tailored suit or whatever? Um, but in the end, just went with what I normally wore because I think... Yeah. There's enough of that ostentatiousness there, and I'm, I'm not yeah, knocking yeah. it. That's cool if you want to do that. That that's all. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think the the people that jumped out at me from kind of a more like a photographer standpoint were the guys being more authentic to themselves. Yeah, yeah. Where they yeah. looked comfortable, and you could tell what they were wearing was functional, and that they wore it on the yeah. daily. Um, so I think in the end, I I just went in what I normally would. It was just like a you know a pair of boots and some salvage denim. Yeah. In fact, for the past two years, I wore the same pair of jeans. Um, wow. And I, I found like a weird point of pride in that. Like I was wearing like pretty much exactly the same outfit one year as I was the last year. Because I'm sort of... No way. Yeah, well, I'm a bit kind of... I get a bit... Uh, how do I put it? I, I, I like to get a lot of mileage out of what I'm wearing. Yeah, so I'm yeah, a big yeah, advocate yeah. for kind of buying less and buying better. So the idea yeah, that yeah. I could take the same pair of jeans to the same event 12 yeah, months right, apart... Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of like think. Oh, mate, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, I'd wash the jeans between <laughs> maybe once or twice. <laughs> once or twice. Yeah. <laughs> that um, yeah. So that that kind of leads me on to um, where I was going with the conversation. So one of the things that um, strikes me about you is the fact that you know you are really into quality um, clothes, and you know you're massively into your denim. Um, it it really inspires me, and it, it's. Whenever we've spoke about it in the in the chair in the past, um, it's mm-hmm. kind of given me the the little push to go ahead and you know read a little bit more into denim and and look into different brands and stuff. Um, how did your passion for denim come about? Was that through working with the magazine, or was that was this something that you were into before? Um, that was prior to the magazine. I think that was kind of one of the points that got me into the magazine in the first place okay. is that I was, I approached, I think during the interview stage when I was just chatting to the guys behind the Central Journal, it was through that interest in, in workwear and denim and kind of heritage goods. Yeah. That kind of got me in there, I think. Right, okay. Um, so that, the, the interest in denim definitely predated a Central Journal. Yeah, yeah. And it, kind of, it goes back into what I was saying with the, uh, with the PhD, and with the bartending, like I'm just, I'm just really into details. I'm into the small details yeah. that paint the big picture. Um, and denim, for a lot of people, like it, it's just a material, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. And people don't tend to think about 
their their genes, I guess. Um, but there's this this wealth of tradition uh, behind denim, yeah. uh, which is kind of really, really took by. Um, and I also like the idea that denim is a very democratic uh, fashion sta- staple. Yeah, like, yeah obviously. Yeah. The sartorial side of things, like the the bespoke suits and stuff, that that has a that comes with a sense of status, and it, it's kind of a power play in many senses. Whereas yeah, yeah. denim is strictly working class. Yeah, uh, you know, yeah. it's a laboring material, and, and I'm from a strictly working class background, and I just I, I love that kind of. And I'm not about to glamorize working in the mines, um, <laughs> you know, like tending the fields every day. Like obviously, that's not kind of what I want to do. But I love the idea of a of a material like denim. Yeah. that will just kind of just take this this punishment Definitely. um like infinitely and just come away with this story like yeah you know the word fades away patinas and phrase and and whatnot i've, I've just gotten so carried away in denim i forgot what you asked me <laughs> to be no, that, that's all good this is what i wanted <laughs> so that that's i was just saying obviously we were talking about um you know you've got this this passion for denim and um mm. you know like um People might mistake that, like you've just said. Then you know it's so easy to go to River Island, or uh, I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to mention any names in case I offend anyone. But you know, people people <laughs> go to high street stores and buy a pair of denim jeans, and yeah. like you say, you know they don't know where they've come from. They don't. There's no story behind them. Whereas I know, you know, you you've told me in the past that you've got, like you said before, pairs of jeans that um, I lived in. You've done a lot of things in them jeans, and. Um, and you know that them jeans are built to withstand so much, um, so much life to be thrown at them. Um, yeah, for sure. And they kind of become a roadmap of you know however long you've worn them. So I've got jeans that maybe I've worn for five years, and they'll have like scuffs and holes and whatever that I can put stories to. Yes. They almost become a scrapbook of um, of these memories of things that have happened over the years. Yeah. And I think more to the point, kind of to what you were saying there as well. It's also the idea that. I can put names and faces to the people who have made these garments. Yeah, this is small batch. This is very personal um, in the way it's made. That's incredible. And I think that's that's one thing. Again, like like you said, I don't want to knock anyone. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Kind of like that fast fashion side of things. It it makes fashion less personal. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You can just go in and it's low stakes. Like the turnaround in in certain places is so quick. Yeah, uh, and so cheap that. A lot of people will buy maybe three, four pairs of jeans and know that they'll only get a couple of months wear out of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, whereas, like, this is a slower approach to things. You know, you, you're picking out a pair of jeans that you're gonna wear for the next five to ten years. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's the same with like with the leather jackets, for example. That's that's gonna be an heirloom. Yeah. You buy that jacket, you'll be passing that down yeah. to the next generation. Um, and there's a real rom- romanticism to that, I think. Oh, definitely. Um, yeah, yeah. That that I was like, yeah, totally, totally smitten with. Totally taken <laughs> Is there is there a brand that you um, a brand of denim brand that you um, fall back on? You know what I mean. Is the one brand that you you know that their jeans can do everything, and that you know you can order a pair of their jeans or buy a pair of their jeans from a store, and you know that that pair of jeans is going to fit you perfectly. That that's that's the challenge, to be honest. When you're looking at uh, denim, it, it is something you need to try it on. You need to be like because we just think in terms of waist size don't we like oh, i'm yeah. 30 32 34 but there are so many yeah. measurements like are, are you looking for like a slim taper a straight leg high rise all this kind of stuff so when you do find that that fit you did de- you do tend to like you find that fit within the brand and you tend to just to lean on that brand a little bit yeah um but for me i think 
there are a few to be honest and i've been doing a disservice just naming one but 316 right uh, yeah, yeah is a brand that kind of they've got their roots in in streetwear predominantly okay like so they're kind of based out of new york into right. that kind of skate and street scene but then they very quickly specialized in denim so they kind of they walk that tightrope between casual streetwear and heritage workwear. Okay. And I don't think that's an easy thing to do. You know, yeah, yeah, you've got like, on the one side of things, you've got this, like, as I say, almost like cowboy whiskey drinking uh, yeah, yeah. sort of vibe. And the other side is more skate and, and, and whatever. And they do it so well. They do it with such kind of, such grace. And the designs right. are always so forward thinking, but they're always so rooted in the tradition. Role in what they do, um, and the guys are just really nice as well. Like, um, like the, the founders, like Andrew and Johan, just just very cool, approachable guys. As I say, the idea of being able to put names and faces and narratives to these brands is that's something. Um, so yeah, three sixteen is probably the one that jumps out immediately. Um, nice. But then you know you can't not mention the traditional Japanese brands. So you know you've got yeah. uh, like Studio Dartisan and Ironheart. Like right. I wear the hell out of those jeans. Ironheart's a motorcycle brand, so they they build heavy jeans. Ah, oh, right, amazing. Built for the slide, not just the ride, as you say. So like, it's right. almost like it's almost like armor to some extent. So they do like okay. twenty-one ounce, um, really heavy jeans that you kind of have, you have to break them in like a pair of shoes. I guess. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. The only way to kind of explain it, which is a weird thing to want in your jeans. Like <laughs> no one's looking for that punishment. Like no one wants yeah. that like stiffness, but it becomes like. It becomes a project you know you buy a new pair of jeans you have to break them in and it's a really yeah it's an odd thing to be to be passionate about but but yeah uh but yeah 316 iheart studio artisan they're kind of my they're in my right. constant rotation they're the jeans that i've always pretty much got on okay so um obviously in the past over the past 12 months or so maybe maybe a little bit longer than that actually but mm. your instagram seems to be um constantly growing you know you you, you, you have a really good engagement on your social media, don't you? And I think that's obviously you found like a niche, um, a niche subject, mm -hmm. as in obviously men's fashion, denim. Mm -hmm. And um, not only are your pictures, you know, really appealing and um, easy on the eye to look at, but it's also obviously people with the same interest, you know, um, I've, I've jumped on to your your social media and like what you're putting out. And it, it's grown, hasn't it? You know, you. I've noticed that myself. Yeah, in, in like a major way, like I didn't really, didn't really expect it to be honest, but that, that's one of the great things about Instagram, I think, is how it can put you in contact with people with shared interests. Yeah. Especially niche interests, like because denim is such an odd uh, niche within the wider menswear. It, well, fashion, it's not just limited to, to men. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it is such a niche area of interest, uh, but people are very passionate about it. Like you've just, watch me just lose my shit over <laughs> over denim um, and like a lot of people, a lot of people do the same thing um and so it's been fun to watch that grow um and it, yeah. it's been so fun because it's been in such an organic and authentic way because I'm, I'm really not i'm not a numbers guy like i'm not yeah. really fussed by followers or or that kind of yeah, yeah getting those hashtags and getting those algorithms and whatever um so it's grown from a really organic and authentic place and people are just enjoying what I put out, and that's that's yeah, that's really nice. It's really encouraging. I feel yeah, like I was like during lockdown, like the whole housebound with the hound project I did, which is just pictures yeah, of yeah. the dog, like that. That went off in in a big way. Yeah, yeah. I did not expect that, and that became like that was my sanity. 
to be honest. Like in the morning, I'd like I have, have a cup of coffee and I'd just sit down with the dog and just see what pictures we could get. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, yeah, during like the past three months, that's where Instagram's really come into its own in many ways because a lot of people focused on on the, the kind of bad side of Instagram. And there is one yeah. where you can get totally sucked up in that, oh, in that scene and it can be really yeah. stressful and, and not very healthy. But on the other hand, you've got its capacity to to put you in contact with people and Absolutely, to yeah. ease that isolation that everyone was going through. Yeah, you, um, you can create you can create relationships, not obviously, I don't mean like a love life. <laughs> like I suppose you <laughs> can do that, but you can create some amazing relationships on there. I've done it myself, you know, with yeah. like brands and uh-huh. with like-minded people. And um, it, like you're saying there, you know, it does have a massive plus yeah, um, sure. if you if you use it in the correct way. Yeah, yeah. And if you're being honest to yourself as well, that you're not you're not posting stuff that doesn't really paint an accurate picture of who you are, you know, you're not yeah. you're not getting too lost in the fiction of it all. Yeah, I think people can spot that now. People can see that a mile off. I think if you're being authentic, like you said, there are brands and shops and things that'll really like your stuff will resonate with them in a big way. And it'll be yeah. it'll be honest. So those those relationships that you are striking up with with brands and shops and for yourself, like fellow barbers and people in the trade. Yeah, yeah. They they are like they're they're cool bonds to have, I think. Yeah, definitely. And, and like you said before, you know, not not worrying about numbers. Mm. Um, I spoke to someone a little while ago and they were saying to me that, um, you know, so many people have spent fortunes buying followers and, you know, getting companies to make their social media bigger. And um, people have kind of really broken the back to, to get, you know, 100,000 followers, say, for instance. Yeah. Whereas this person I was speaking to who was into, like, marketing and um, collaborations and stuff, they were saying that, more often than not, um, companies look for people who have got a smaller following mm-hmm. because they know that that person will have time to um, to spend, you know, um, replying to direct messages and yeah. putting the brands kind of pushing the brand out there. Whereas, you know, if someone's got a hundred thousand followers, you might get a massive number of direct messages and you're not going to reply to them. You know what I mean? So yeah, um, yeah. And, and that's kind of proved, you know, that's kind of pro- you've kind of proved this guy's point to me because. Um, I know over the last 12 months or so, you've worked with a couple of brands, haven't you, and done a couple of things. Um, I know your latest one, um, which I wanted to talk about, was the you've been given a pair of white snakes, white snakeskin boots. Oh, my God, they're insane. The heartbreakers. Oh, yeah. right. The heartbreakers. But that, that came out of um, out of kind of a relationship with a uh, boutique men's store in Long Beach, California, uh, Snake right. Divisions. And, like, Miranda and Ben, just two of the, the, the coolest people, on the scene yeah. like they for the same reason like there's an authenticity that comes from them uh and they're doing all of this stuff out of genuine interest and they have a real a really interesting take on style on fashion and on business right. um and but it was kind of what i said what i like about 316 is that kind of walking the tightrope between streetwear casual wear and the more hardcore yeah. heritage stuff yeah um, and snake oil provisions navigate that expertly i think right um so yeah getting the chance to kind of work with them on things yeah i picked up a pair of um heartbreaker boots they call that's what they call them it's a collaboration between snake oil provisions um and santa rosa which is a boot makers okay uh in america and these are um you've seen them right these, these are cowboy boots these are white <laughs> snake skin cowboy boots mate um, the, they're absolutely incredible and they're insane Right. We, we spoke about them in the chair, didn't we? You know, when you were getting your hair cut and stuff. And yeah. I had in my head, I had this picture of these white cowboy boots, and 
you know, obviously I love that kind of fashion. That's, that's yeah. you know, that's that's a bit of me. That and <laughs> when you were telling me about them, I felt myself getting excited. And then when you put your first picture up, I was like, oh my god, they are incredible. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's been like a really fun project. We, like obviously I, I received them and um, just wearing them around Liverpool because Liverpool is not Long Beach, California. No, it's a very different scene. We get a lot of we get a lot less sun, so we can be yeah. a lot less kind of zany with our uh, with our aesthetic. Um, but again, that's like they Ben and Miranda wanted that original take. So uh, yeah, you know they they want they didn't want I guess, and nobody wants the person with a hundred thousand followers who were just gonna you know rep any old thing. Like definitely, you know, yeah, yeah. This was a challenge to some extent, but like it. They they had this uncanny knack for taking these like amazing concepts like white snakeskin western boots, yeah, yeah, and making them oddly doable. Like you can wear them, like like, and I've got to say they're comfortable. They're so comfortable, fresh out the box. Are they? Yeah, like they hands down the most comfortable boots I've ever owned. <laughs> no way. <laughs> Which has made it like so much more fun to wear as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's been a fun project. Uh, sure. <laughs> I, I'm like, I'm going to continue to wear the hell out of them as well. So. Oh, mate, it's as I say, I've seen them and I, I, I thought they're beautiful boots. And uh, yeah, the 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 things you've been wearing them with, you know, the the darker jeans, mm-hmm. the black jeans, they, they do look really well. Um, what what's the long term project with out to come out of this? Then what are they what are they aiming for? Are they just aiming for you to give them a bit of feedback on the boots or? I think it's just seeing how different people run with them. Um, okay. Because obviously, like, as I just said, like, Liverpool is not Long Beach. So trying yeah, to, yeah. like, j- just see how those boots look and feel in this context, I think. Okay. And I think the most important thing to come out of it, for me anyway, because it's something I've always said, and I think it's something that Snake Over Visions really get behind, is that there needs to be an element of fun in what you're wearing. Like, you shouldn't yeah. take yourself too seriously. No, I agree 100%. And it should be like, it should be fun. That's it. Like, yeah, there's a hint of irony to it. And, you know, there's an element of fun. Because if you're not having fun in what you're wearing, it's like the most immediate sense of self-expression, really, isn't it? Definitely. You know, like yeah, yeah, what yeah. You're wearing. So you might as well invest in it and just have a little bit of fun with it as well. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't want to be the guy in his, in his 30s just always wearing the same suit kind of thing. No. I want to be pushing things forward and, and just having fun. That's it. Um, how are the uh, how are the snakeskin boots today in this warm weather? They're, they're all right, they're all right. But I'm I'm a person who wears like I wear heavyweight t-shirts and denim regardless. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Uh, like even my face mask, my face mask at the moment is uh, Dawson's denim. So I've never I've never seen you in a pair of shorts. I've, you know, it could be thirty degrees and you'll have your jeans on. <laughs> what um, what would you pack if you were going to, I don't know, say. Dubai or Greece or somewhere where it was going to be, you know, over 30 degrees for, for a week of, of sun, what would be your ideal, like, oh, summer outfit? That's a, my ideal summer outfit would probably just be, like, a lightweight jean with no socks. I think that's about as, right. cl- as close as I get to, to shorts, to be honest. Okay. Uh, I'm not against them. I just, I think I've got, like, I've got very Scottish legs. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it, but, you know, they're white. You've really got to love hair if you're going to like appreciate my legs. Um, probably because I've seen no sun in 32 years. And I don't know. Um, but I reckon it would probably it would probably still be jeans and just like a pair of Vans loafers, uh, okay, sockless and like a nice cool. light t-shirt. And then I guess like 
if it did get too hot, I could just, you know, tap out and just cut the jeans to the knees. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a yeah. Pair of jeans. Have, you, have you ever done that with a pair of jeans? Have you ever cut them down into shorts? I've come close. I've come close. Right. Uh, not yet. <laughs> I mean, this week's looking pretty hot, so there's, there's yeah. none yet. I wonder if... Uh, I think it'd be quite cool for me to start a thing on Instagram, you know, let's see Will's legs or <laughs> hashtag, hashtag get Will's legs. <laughs> yeah, get a hashtag going and just see what happens. <laughs> I'm going to start this, you know, I think it sounds like a really good thing. <laughs> nah, it's, it's like one of them things, like when you can't have something, you really want it. Yeah. 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 I want to see your legs, mate. <laughs> Until you do, and then you're going to wish you hadn't, to be honest. <laughs> Yeah, we'll have to. We'll get. I'll get a hashtag going, and then before you come in for your next haircut, yeah, you have to. We have to make a deal that you come in and show. See what we can do. I, <laughs> if I could, like, I'd go jogging in in jeans. <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we spoke before about. Um, obviously, we spoke earlier on about lockdown, and then obviously you mentioned um, your uh, housebound at the hand. Mm-hmm. How did you get them pictures? Like, is is Ralph just a really, really talented sausage dog? Or no, have you... no, he's the worst <laughs> sausage dog. Like, I've never met a more stubborn, disobedient dog. Okay. Like, Ralph is so stubborn that he will disobey me in the things that he actually wants to do. <laughs> like, if he wants to go for a walk, I'll be like, all right, okay. Um, and I'll go to put his collar on, and he'll leg it around the room. And nice. like, he won't let me put the collar on, despite the fact I know he wants to go out. Um, but I think the the best thing about the past three months is that I've been able to like instill a little bit of discipline into the dog and I say discipline it actually just means I've made him really fat with treats (laughs) (laughs) just bribed him (laughs) right but it's like is that all you were getting them to pose for these photographs? Sometimes, sometimes. I mean, yeah. he's actually like he's become so conditioned now that if I get the um, if I get the camera out and I get the tripod ready because there's a tripod involved. Uh, okay. I, as soon as I start unfolding that tripod, he comes out and he stands in front of the camera. No way. Yeah, and he'll just sit there because um, he ah, knows right, like, okay. oh, there's a treat coming if I just sit here and do something stupid. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's the uh, the one good thing to come out of, of lockdown is my dog is. Uh, He's learned some good tricks <laughs> over the yeah. yeah, some photographic discipline. Yeah, but you should see like for every like one photo that goes up, there's like a hundred failed photos. Oh <laughs> mate, you need you need to uh, you need to put in like a reel of these together. And... I'm gonna make like a coffee table book of the B sides of Ralph. Yeah, just not playing That'll... ball. <laughs> yeah, that would be an amazing idea. <laughs> <laughs> but there's been times where I've like. We've got like some of the shots I do in front of like a lattice in front of our radiator, and I like I wedge treats in the lattice, right. and he'll like that's the only way I can get him to sit still. And I'll <laughs> Photoshop the treat out. Um, ah, right, okay. it looks like he's just staring at a wall. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like he's just having this conversation with nothing. That's amazing. Yeah. So yeah, it's a lot of trial and error, a lot of patience, and loads and loads of time on your hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Loads of lockdown I- time. I was speaking to a, um, one of my clients recently and his friend has got an agency in town mm. and she, it's a pet agency. So she deals with, uh, you know, she represents dogs, cats, lizards. <laughs> uh, yeah, when he was, as soon as he was telling me about this, I thought, bloody hell, Ralph, you know, Will should get Ralph signed up for this. <laughs> you could earn some money from him. <laughs> yeah, rather than just costing me money. Uh, yeah, that's you know, I've looked into it, to be honest, and that first line is, like, must be able to sit on command and, like, well, that's him out at the first. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Ralph. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
it's so that it's been amazing, mate. As I say, you know, it's um, it's it's always good to have someone on the, um, that I can kind of learn something from, and the listeners can learn something from. And mm. I think you know the thing to take from from our conversation is the fact that um, you know you can become a doctor. Yeah, <laughs> it's totally doable <laughs> from uh, from reading Argentinian literature and sitting in a coffee shop. <laughs> it can be done. Yeah. <laughs> um, and also, you know, there's. It's not just a, a weird fetish that you've got for denim. It's like a genuine interest. <laughs> and, um... Is that just the one thing you wanted to get clear out of this? Like, oh, <laughs> this fetish thing? Like, <laughs> no, it's a. Uh, as I say, it's really good. You know, speaking to people about their interests, everyone's got different interests, mm-hmm. and that's one of the things that I love about getting people in the chair. You know, because a lot of the time I find myself having new interests because I learn from you know from other people what they're into and yeah. uh, as I say you know there's been many a time that I've cut your hair and you've gone away and um, and I've sat down and read about denim for an hour so <laughs> it, it, it is always good um, but yeah um, I think the good thing about it the one takeaway from it because it's not just denim denim is just the it's the yeah, most yeah. obvious manifestation of slow fashion of the idea of just just being more measured and taking your time and you know just yeah. buying less but buying something of a higher quality it's last. Yeah, exactly. I think denim's like the most immediate um, sort of visual metaphor for that. But it really does yeah, apply yeah. To, to, to everything, really. Definitely. Um, and yeah, just taking that, just making fashion and consumption in general personal in some way. Yeah. And um, being fun about it. Yeah, exactly. Know. Like if you're not having fun, you're doing something wrong. Definitely. That's been amazing. It's, uh, as I say, you know, again, as, as always, uh, I love the, the hour that I get to chat with you. Mm. Um, today's been no different so it's been amazing um i always end every podcast the same so um i ask you a question and then you ask me a question my question to you is who's got the which male has got the best ever haircut that you think that you've seen the best ever haircut i've ever seen um, dead or alive whoa that's a tough one uh it's the classics like elvis presley's pompadour um yeah. james dean as well had a, he rocked a similar vibe um, yeah, it's the pomp. Elvis is pomp, I think. Um, yeah. Despite the fact, I mean, I've tried to replicate it so much, and it, it it's kind of a high maintenance um, hairstyle, I think. Yeah. And yeah, I think it's yeah. because of its like inattainability for some people. Yeah. That's why I find it so like so cool because that is not an easy um, style to to rock daily. It takes a lot of preparation, yeah. and I've got too many mates that would ruffle with my hair and just like <laughs> just mess it up on purpose. Uh, so I think Elvis Presley, or maybe like Steve McQueen on the other side of the spectrum, because he's way more like low maintenance, just that like scruffy crop almost. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, that's cool. Which is way more attainable for me, who I, I'm always five minutes late for everything. <laughs> and I think you, you've probably you helped me attain both of those at some point over the past like six years. <laughs> I was gonna say that, you know. Yeah, I was gonna say. I, I, I seem to remember us going for a bit of an Elvisy kind of, you know. Yeah, it went from the slip back to more of like an unstructured pomp and yeah. Yeah. But yeah, then, those classics, they never got a style. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Yeah, good answers. Uh, and then the last thing is obviously you can ask me a question, anything you want, anything at all. Anything at all. Would you shave a Nike tick into the back of my dog? <laughs> oh, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Uh, if you weren't, <laughs> if you weren't barbering, what, what do you think you'd be doing? As a job, as a, yeah, as a professional. Um, it wasn't a bother. I, I think I'd, I'd I'd like to do something either in media, so 
Um, I've always been interested by working in television, mm-hmm. um, whether it be presenting or um, or acting, maybe even. Oh, nice. I, I really, I really like that that art. I really like that, you know, um, that profession. Yeah. It, it's always gripped me since I was younger. I've always been not obsessed, but I've always been really, really interested in like just television in general and film as well. I'm not a massive film buff, but yeah, um, I do like to look at you know how people act and. It blows my mind that someone can act um, in a way that they take on a character and you believe that that person is that character. Yeah. And then, you know, you could meet them on the street and it'd be a totally different person. So, yeah, I think I'd quite like to I'd do that or photography. Um, yeah, I absolutely. You know, I was, I was, was going to be kind of cheeky and ask a second, um, a second <laughs> question. In just a would you, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, would you, have you ever considered a kind of coffee table book of your own photography? Would you ever release something like that? Because I'd be, I'd be well into seeing that. Yeah, do you know what I have, and it's been something that has been kind of nibbling away at me for the past year or two mm-hmm. since I bought my first like good quality camera. You know, like a nice camera. Yeah. Um, and if you come to our housemates, there's loads of my photography up on the walls. It's uh, <laughs> I don't know whether Jen likes it that much, but <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but I love it. So, but uh, yeah, it's it's been something that I've always well since I've been into, into photography, I've kind of thought about doing it. Um, and yeah, I've had a couple of ideas. I've had kind of ideas of doing haircuts, but in a different, like obviously not someone sat in the barber chair. So um, I put a post up a day or two ago of Alex, um, one of my clients. Mm-hmm. And that was like a really cool, arty, dark shot. You know what I mean? And yeah. uh, I've had loads of feedback on that one picture. And, um, and the, the good thing about that is that's kind of, what I'd want my book to look like. I'd want it to look quite dark and, um, you know, really uh, low lit and just playing with light and stuff. So yeah, it, sorry to go off on a tangent, but <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely would. Um, I definitely would do that. And it's something that I would like to say that I will do in the future. Definitely, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'd very much like to do that, for sure. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> no doubt there'll be a picture of you in there anyway. <laughs> yeah, or at the very least, my new boots. We've got to get a shot now. Yeah, <laughs> definitely, yeah. <laughs> Let's let's uh, let's sort that. Let's get it. Let's get a little uh, shots. Yeah, couple of couple of uh, hours set up around <laughs> uh, Liverpool of you and your snakeskin boots. That's Definitely. <laughs> right. Well, thank you so much for giving me the hour of your time. It's been amazing. It's been a pleasure. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll, I look forward to getting you back in the chair probably next week or so. Maybe I'll yeah. see you. I dare say I'm going to need it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Mate, thank you so much again. Yeah, um, so I really appreciate that. Awesome. Thank you. I'll speak to you soon. Take care. Indeed.